0: Hey there, welcome to Dirt Rich, Seasonal Conversations About Food and Farming. I'm Jared Luman, the Soil Health Lead for the Sustainable Farming Association, Mm -hmm. and today I'm talking with my coworker Jerry Ford about his story in agriculture, as well as his farm transition story. Jerry has a pretty unique perspective on land transition that's Mm -hmm. not based solely on how much can I get for my land, but places a higher value on legacy and management Mm -hmm. and stewardship of that resource. And so I'm really excited to get into it today with you, Jerry. Thanks so much for being willing to share your story and welcome to the Dirt Rich Podcast.
1: It's my pleasure, Jared.
0: Well, I'd be curious and, and every I, I always joke with you every time we have a conversation, I learn something new, um, but I'm sure there's still more out there that I haven't. So let's just get started with a bit of your history and kind of if you wouldn't mind sharing you know, a little bit of how you grew up and, and your relation to agriculture and how you ended up to where you are today on the farm you're at today.
1: Well, it's it's something I do enjoy talking about. I, I I married the farm, had no background in farming growing up to speak of. Always was uh, an avid outdoors person, but otherwise I, I was uh, mostly lived in cities, sometimes in rural towns. Uh, my family moved around quite a bit as a child, and and I am actually from the, the south, uh, and. Then um, my first career was in theatrical production work, which really prepared me for this farming thing. <laughs> um, yeah. but I, and, and I had a, a, a fairly long career with that, 25 years or so, starting from when I was 20. And in the process of that, I got to meet my wife, Marianne Kreitlow. And find out that uh, she has uh, she was heir to a farm in Minnesota. And I hadn't even been to Minnesota before I met her. So we would, over the first 12 years of our marriage, when she moved down to Texas with me, where I was teaching at a college there in theater, uh, she, we would come up here to the, to the farm, about an hour west of Minneapolis. And I fell in love with the place and she had always been in love with the place and her father and mother were still here on the farm her dad actively farming at that time so we decided that we would when i took my retirement from teaching that we would move to the farm and that was going to happen when i was 55. well sometimes uh life has other plans and we had a bit of an experience where we we were living down on the Gulf Coast and we got walloped by a uh, tropical storm, lost almost everything, uh, wow. uh, flooding, um, high winds, etc. And while we were not able to live in our home and living on FEMA's dime, that was in 2001 and 9-11 happened and we just dis- decided that... Uh, Maybe we were getting uh, whooped upside the head with um, with God's 2 by 4 or something, uh, telling us to reevaluate our lives. And if what we're supposed to really be doing is being on the farm, go ahead and make the decision to do that. So we uh, spent quite a bit of time working on that. And to make a long story short, we did it. The follow in June of 2002. I left teaching at a college at that time and we moved here to Minnesota. And one of the ways that we take a sign that it was a good decision was I still was able to retire from teaching at hmm. age 55, even though I uh, had not taught in Texas for nine years. Uh, the Hmm. teacher retirement system was such. So I like to say, and I'm completely upfront about this sort of thing. I like to say a little tongue in cheek that, uh, the state of Texas is subsidizing my farming. (laughs) That's awesome. So that's how I got into it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'm curious more on, on, you you said you fell in love with the farm because so many people, I mean, I have, brothers and I know so many people who have siblings who grew up on farms and didn't even love the farm and you coming from kind of the city life and a totally different background totally different world fell in love with something about a Minnesota farm Minnesota of all places too uh you know or winters and and miserable (laughs) miserably cold winters but what was it about it and maybe what was the farm at that time as far as its production enterprises and stuff and and uh and then what was it about that that you saw as appealing
1: Oh, it's a it's a complex question, and and I'll try to give as simple <laughs> an answer as I can. Um, I, the first time I came to Minnesota, it was shortly after I met my wife. I had asked her to marry me within days of meeting her, and um, so I had Christmas break coming up, and she was going to be back at the farm at that time. So I said, "Well, I'll come up to Minnesota," and. Christmas time in Texas on the Gulf Coast is is a lot different than it is in um, Central Minnesota. So when I got here, it was a full fledged winter, and it I just I loved it. I fell in love with that. I fell in love with winter, believe it or not, and I uh, and still am.
0: Yeah. You maybe are meant to be here. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it could be, it could be that Scottish Norwegian stock I come from. Um, <laughs> yeah. but the, uh, so we, uh, we actually uh, found where we wanted to have our wedding up in Grand Marais of all places, uh, which is interesting to go to in, in a deep winter. Um, and at that time the farm was a dairy. My father-in-law Willard Kreitlow was, um, was running about an 80 cow dairy, and uh, the farm was uh, 288 acres. And so it w- and it was um, successful. He had been um, uh, my father-in-law, Willie Krato, was uh, very good at running a business and he was very good to his land. Some people may have seen his name before. He was kind of a renowned conservationist in his day. He started doing conservation work on this farm in the 1940s, uh, where almost all of the land is highly erodible. We're on hills. Sure. We're just next to the North Fork of the Crow River, and it's hilly. Uh, mm-hmm. And he, when he started working with his dad, he was third generation. My wife is fourth generation. Um, when he started, he, he just saw that they were losing topsoil. Uh, It was washing down the hills and into the river. And so he knew he had to do something about that. So he contacted his local conservation group. I don't know what it was called at that time. Now it'd be like a soil and water conservation district and bought in lock, stock and barrel uh, and started conservation practices at that time uh, that the neighbors thought he was crazy. You know, here's, there's that quite low kid, plowing around the hills again and putting in all those grass waterways. And and now he's building terraces. What in the world? Um, And uh, this farm, oh, at that time, it was well over 300 acres. All of those terraces, contours, waterways are still in place on all of this land from what was set up in the 1940s. Uh, there's been very little modification to it. And kind of the joke with our soil and water conservation district is that uh, let's go over to the Crite farm and uh, get some topsoil. (laughs) Because we're building topsoil.
0: (laughs) Yeah. That's awesome. What a reputation. Yeah.
1: yeah, And so that, I had always been involved with organic gardening as an adult and, was interested in these issues. And then suddenly it's like put right in front of me with an Mm -hmm. opportunity to participate in it. Uh, Mm -hmm. So again, I think I take that as a sign that that's what we were supposed to do. Sure.
0: Okay. Yeah. And so when you, well, I guess we're kind of the main topic of today is that farm transition story. What did that transition look like of you and your wife back into the farm in a time I'm trying to think, I guess I wasn't maybe too active in the early 2000s. I don't know what the farm, the story of the farm industry and, and economy was then, but what did that transition look like to, to you guys from her parents, uh, your father-in-law and, and both financially and land and management? There's so many different aspects to farm transition. There's the land base, there's the operating entity, there's the management decisions, you know, maybe talk through a little bit of what that looked like early on when you came back.
1: Uh, OK, so that I uh, first off to say that the farm was unusual in that it had all these conservation practices in place, which be- became um, kind of the core of what we're doing, you know, and that uh, it was carrying no debt by the time we came into knowing about the farm or I, uh, me knowing about it and then actually moving here in 2002, there was no debt on the farm. Mm-hmm. And that was from my father-in-law and, and his wife's, um, just their ethic on how they did things. Um, and it moved, part of the reason why it was a successful farm at the time, why it made it mm-hmm. through the farm crisis in the, uh, in the 1980s. So uh, so it was already a farm in really good shape, great soil, the basis of everything and great management financially in, in every way. Great management. Uh, and so uh, I like to say that my job became uh, not to mess that up. Um, you know, if I could just maintain this, <laughs> it'll, yeah, it'll yeah. carry on through. Uh, so what we did is, uh, we expressed during the nineties, uh, we expressed to my in-laws that, that we wanted the farm. We were already interested in that. And that we had a timeline, like I mentioned before, that mm-hmm. by the time I'm 55, we would be here. Uh, we moved here quite a bit earlier than that. Um, Mm -hmm. the, and so we started planning around that. Now there, every uh, farm transition that I have ever heard of has been one of the common themes is it's way more complicated than you think it is. However complicated you think a farm transition is going to be, you know, double it. Even when it's an amicable, everybody on the same page transition, Mm -hmm. Uh, So, at that time, there was a trust set up on the farm, and part of that was to help protect the land because um, my mother-in-law's health was failing. So, they wanted to try to protect the land and at the same time be able to uh, give her the care she needed. And then as we progressed in this, and it became apparent that she was going to be in the nursing home, uh, which is one of the wild cards that can Uh, really slam into farm transitions. We shifted the plan out of a trust and into a life estate. And all of this is possible because her parents, my wife's parents were very in favor of us having the farm.
0: Did she have siblings that were, there was a, I don't know, kind of (laughs) intermixed and all that?
1: Yes, and that's where another one of those uh, get slammed into by reality things
0: uh, mm-hmm. happen
1: as we get into the, the full transition from the third generation to the fourth generation. Of course, we're also now working on fourth generation to fifth generation transition. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes, th- a- a- and what you'll often hear when people talk about farm transitions is that um, equal is not always fair you know, okay, I want all the kids to have equal share of the estate. And if one kid wants to farm and wants to continue at the farm, and if the ethic is we want this farm to continue in the family and with these practices, then equal may not be fair. Fair may be that the one who's going to stay there and take care of it gets a bigger share of the estate. Um, and of course, this is all very individual to every family, to every entity that's um, doing these transitions so mm-hmm. it was set up then there were five parcels on this farm 80 acres had already gone yeah. to uh, been sold with the dairy my father-in-law in his 80s his idea of retirement was to stop milking cows <laughs> uh, he was still going to farm the remaining 288 yeah, 80s. but yeah. he sold exactly <laughs> yeah and he farmed okay. up until he was 94. Then, so the, um, uh, yeah, we were extremely blessed with that. Uh, So the 80 was sold and the dairy taken over by the neighbor who we are still partner farmers with. And then the five parcels that remained were put into, and this is getting into real technicalities here, but that's, I guess, what this is all about. Transfer on death deeds, TOD, they call them. So two of the parcels, uh, three, sorry, three of the parcels were put transfer on death to my wife's brother, who loved the farm and wanted it to stay in the family, but didn't Mm -hmm. live here. He lived out in Portland, Oregon. Um, And those three parcels were all, for the most part, ag land. There were no building allotments in those you know, it was not the kind of thing you could sell and somebody could build a house there. Whereas the remaining two parcels were transferred on death to my wife and me. They had the homestead, all the buildings. Uh, it was fewer acres. But, you know, when you look at the valuation, it's worth a lot more. So the that uh, fair is not necessarily equal thing. Uh, mm-hmm. The value of the property that was to transfer to us was worth uh, quite a bit more, even though it was fewer okay. acres because of, and sure. it had another, and this is going to play into the next transition, has another building allotment. We still had one more building allotment. So transfer on death deed, life estate, uh, in which my father-in-law has diminishing interest in the farm itself, in the, the ownership of the farm. Uh, mm-hmm. Oh, and let me say right here, don't try this at home, kids have a lawyer (laughs) you need (laughs) if you try to do this by yourself you know there's all kinds of things online where you can you know Mm -hmm. do a trust do a I don't I haven't seen a life estate but uh, you know you can do this online you don't need a lawyer unless you are an estate lawyer yourself you need one Mm -hmm. it's just I so I still don't understand philosophically the concept of a life estate. And to other people, it makes perfect sense. But what it means is by the time my father-in-law passed away, he owned nothing. Uh, it's kind of a Zen sort of thing. You want to reach the end of your life owning nothing. And then the titles, when he passed away, immediately transferred towards his his kids. Mm-hmm. And I'll start stop at that point to see if I've missed something you wanted to ask about.
0: Yeah. Well, I guess maybe it's this life estate that's kind of maybe taking care of the question that I I had and was wondering initially with the transfer on death clause or whatever of the the deed transfer on death. um, My question was what would happen if he got into the point where he needed to go to a nursing home and, and, You ran out of money like that's a concern for a lot of people is that yeah the asset needs to be sold off to pay for the nursing home or for care uh, later in life and was that somehow prepared for or, or you know kind of accounted for in the the transfer plan or maybe that was part of that life estate that there was no asset left in his name kind of by the time that that happened
1: I think you just answered the question. <laughs> that's, okay. that's exactly okay. right. And and it was planning, and this is over many years, um, it was planning toward the eventuality that he would need to be in a nursing home. And of course, what happens, as you alluded to, is the assets of the farm can then be liable to pay for the nursing home if you can't pay for it. Uh, If he wouldn't Mm -hmm. have been able to pay for nursing home, uh, then, you know, it's like, oh, well, it's no big deal. Medicare will take care of it or Medicaid, sorry, Mm -hmm. Medicaid will take care of it or state aid. They call it. Well, yeah, it it will. And then they put a lien against your property to get their money back, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, which is perfectly legitimate. uh, Mm -hmm. And it sounds awful, but it happens. And then, you know, it's the Mm -hmm. way that. Uh, that they can can be afforded to do that. Well, what this does then is he has diminishing ownership, the assets of the farm, so that by the time he, if he were to have gone into the nursing home, which he did, and, and I'm gonna throw in another complication here, if uh, he used up his long-term care, healthcare insurance, this is another instrument that, that can be very useful if you can get it is long term healthcare insurance so that the, mm-hmm. for him, his first three years of nursing home would have been covered. Now, there is a catch to that that we didn't find out until we put him in the nursing home. <laughs> yeah, uh,
0: sure.
1: So that was all yeah. planned out. Uh, the nursing home, mm-hmm. the state uh, was not going to be able to put a lien against the property because of that um, life estate and then the land transferred without probate and with the step up in valuation uh, because of the transfer on death deeds. Now we're, we're skipping that chunk in there for the moment where at the time of putting him in the nursing home, which we held out for a long time, He was 98 when he finally went in the nursing home, and we were his primary caregivers for um, about, I mean, really heavy-duty caregivers for about three years uh, Mm -hmm. leading up to that. And we really did not want to put him in the nursing home, even though he had the long-term care insurance. We wanted him to be able. He was born, from where I'm sitting right now, he was born um, 90 feet west of here. in a house that there's not there anymore. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we're living in the fourth Kreitlow house right now. And he he moved over to another, just a quarter mile to the south, and then moved back over to this original homestead, and we built the house here in 94. Uh, He used Mm -hmm. to like to say that uh, he hadn't gone very far in the world.
0: (laughs) hey, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I moved all of a quarter mile down the road from where I grew up and there's a chance I can move back to that same house. So (laughs) there's nothing wrong with that.
1: And with my childhood of moving around so much, it just sounded Hmm. wonderful to me. Yeah, Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Okay, so we're going through that whole transition plan. We've got a great plan in place. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I'm speaking a little bit, you know, with this, and then something happened, uh, sort of yes. uh, yeah. cliffhanger. <laughs> uh, so we, the, the plan was in place. We knew, uh, then we're, we're, we're staring down at, he's going to have to go into the nursing home. We just, we can't do it anymore. And anybody who's been through mm-hmm. this knows what I'm saying. Is this going to? Are, are we going to go first? <laughs> because we're kind of messes up the whole plan if the caregivers or uh, go yeah. before the person they're giving care to. Uh, <laughs> and my wife and I are both in our sixties our at that point. Um, mm-hmm. So we get to that point, and all right. Reminder: all the titles to the land have been set up in transfer on death to go mm-hmm. to my wife's brother and to her. Uh, Mm -hmm. And me by default. Um, Okay. So in May of last year, 2021, we put him in the nursing home. No, we put him in, in, I'm sorry, we put him in in April. And then we found out something I should have known all along, that there is what's called a 90-day elimination period on almost all long-term care insurance. And, Hmm. you know, it sounds kind of foreboding, elimination, um, yeah. And what that means is you're responsible for the first 90 days.
0: Never heard of that.
1: Well, and we had neither. Okay. Now, let me say that my wife and I both have long term care policies as part of our transition plan to the next generation. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have those policies as well. Well, we looked, we have 90 day elimination on it. And okay. what that means. You're going to pay for the first 90 days. There is a way to avoid that, but it's it's kind of dumb. The way to avoid it is hmm. to go into the hospital first and stay three days. And then Medicare, okay. assuming you're over 65 and on Medicare, mm-hmm. then Medicare covers the first period. I don't know if it's okay. a full 90 days. Well, the first bill, and I'm very open about this stuff, and some people might find it unusual that I'll throw actual <laughs> figures out there.
0: I appreciate the first that. bill we
1: got from the nursing. Well, thank you. Um, cause I want people to know about this stuff. And if we can yeah. help other people avoid some of these things, or at least not get totally shocked by them. Mm-hmm. Um, so we get to bill for the first month at the nursing home. It's $18,000. Wow.
0: Um, yeah.
1: And wow. fortunately we also, as part of the plan, we had a fund set up mm-hmm. for the unexpected. And and we were very fortunate to have the ability to do that, to have cash Mm -hmm. on hand so that, you know, we're not scrambling to find $18,000 to pay the nursing home. Yeah. Okay. So here's where it gets complicated as if it weren't already. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, We come up to May, the first uh, week in May, and my brother-in-law, who's going to be receiving through transfer on death, a major portion of the farm died. Wow. Well, the plan was never set up for the heir to die before my father-in-law. So he's passed away now. And so we're going to the point of um, uh, eight days later, after my brother-in-law passed away, then my father-in-law passed away. So we're in a situation where at that very moment when he passes away on May 12th, which just happened to be my wife and my anniversary. So here we have a situation now where the land automatically transfers to my brother-in-law's wife because it can't transfer to him because he's deceased. And we had to do some you know, quick consultations with the lawyer
0: mm-hmm.
1: to try to figure out how this is going to work. Well, once that transfer happens, she owns it and she can do whatever she wants with it. Uh, Now, fortunately, we have we're we're very close with my um, Mm sister-in-law and she loved the farm, even though she lived out in Portland, Oregon and visited Mm -hmm. a few times. Okay, (laughs) so then, of course, the other parcels transferred to my wife and me. No problem there. So we're in a situation now where more than half the acreage of the farm belongs to someone who has children from a previous marriage. My brother-in-law had children from a previous marriage. So they both had their own kids, no kids together. All right. What that means is her kids, who have never been here, stand to inherit the farm. Mm Mm-hmm. My brother-in-law's kids are out because oh. it goes to her kids. Um, <laughs> that's the way the law worked. works. Um, sure. Uh, yep. So what are we going to do about that? You know, if she suddenly passed away, my sister-in-law passed away, there's these three kids who mm-hmm. would now own that part of the farm that we don't even know. <laughs> um, okay. So I had a very... Heart to heart conversation with her, with my sister in law. And she said, Well, David, her husband, my brother in law, would have wanted the farm to stay in your family. That's what he would have wanted.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So it was actually kind of an interesting situation in that the actual signing of the papers for this next bet that happened out in Oregon, she signed the papers that gave her now full ownership of the farm. And the same day the papers were signed for my brother-in-law's two kids that they own the farm. So she owned it for a matter of hours.
0: (laughs) Wow. Yeah.
1: And then it transferred to the people that we wanted it to go to. And now my niece and nephew, my wife's niece and nephew, they own that part of the farm. One of them owns One parcel and the other one owns the other two parcels. They want to keep it in the family. And so we're moving forward with that. So that transition was difficult. And of course, it's always difficult when family members die, and especially when some die unexpectedly. (laughs) So that that transition from third generation to fourth generation happened and is complete at this point.
0: Well, it got complicated, but that, that's, it's yeah, awesome yeah. that you have that kind of relationship with your family, that you were able to work through that and that the goals ultimately that she recognized the goals and that probably came out of just kind of, you know, picking out a piece that maybe stands out to me that I hear from a lot of farm transition stories is communication, how important communication is between everybody. Not even, not just the on-farm, you know, the on-farm farming, uh, uh, you know, kids, but the that off farm ones just so that everybody's on the same page and recognizing what the goals are and and can set up something like that. So that even when there was kind of a last minute surprise and a very unfortunate one that she knew what the wishes of everybody were and was able to act on that, that that comes down to what I'm guessing was active communication on everybody's part early.
1: Yes. And some people just aren't made that way. Uh, It's hard to talk about these things. Um, -hmm. fortunately, all of us, we didn't, we had no problem talking about end of life issues and -hmm. those sorts of things. And what I would also say is assume nothing, put everything down in writing. Uh, you know, you've probably seen this before where we, oh, we just assumed we divided up equally or something. Well, all it takes is one person to say, well, no, I thought we were doing it this way. And well, maybe you'll land in probate and a judge gets to
0: decide. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it's, it's a complicated conversation, especially when there are so many people involved, but I I want to keep moving along too, because this is, this is just the portion of the story. It's, it's, it's the more recent story, but you're also already planning for the next transition. And we'll have to, we're probably not going to have enough time even to get into your actual active farming of the the land, which I would be curious to hear too, like what we, what your, your story was farming and managing the land and, and, you know, just knowing you, it's clear your conservation ethic is, you know, carried with throughout your, your whole kind of uh, time managing it. But I'm curious if you would share then kind of going forward, recognizing that value on the management of the land and, and all of that, what, what's your plans going forward and and why, what have you and your wife, you know, discussed and what, what what did that look like as you started to plan for the transition on uh, to the next generation?
1: Well, I'm glad you said the why part. Why are we even concerned about Mm -hmm. uh, a transition to a next generation? And especially since we don't have a family heir, I have a son from a previous marriage, he's not interested in the farm. So we're doing a different estate settlement with him that does not involve him getting any part of the farm. And he's fine with that. And the why is because we believe that we are are loaned this farm. We don't have a mortgage, but we have a loan. And the loan is the land. And we are loaned this land to take care of and um, I think of it in, in terms of um, theologically, that God has loaned us this land and doesn't want us to pay back and doesn't want interest. What is desired of us is to pay forward mm-hmm. and to move this loan on to someone else who will take care of this land, because that's, mm-hmm. that's our purpose, to steward this land. Not for everybody, but for us, it is. And then the interest is that we're paying that out to our community. So we get to make great food Mm -hmm. for the community. We get to uh, improve water and soil quality and air quality in our community. So our primary thing is to transfer the farm to someone else who has this ethic, who wants to farm and wants to care for the land. And, well, that's all fine and well, but how do you find somebody like that?
0: Well, oh, that, yeah, that was going to be my question. Because <laughs> is, is that, not, not everybody out there you know, has that same value. <laughs>
1: like, not very, I mean, a lot of people love the idea mm-hmm. uh, you know, of conservation and, and uh, in, environmental stewardship and all the, They love the idea, but they don't know how to put it into practice. So yes, it was, and we, we basically put out the word. We are looking for someone to take over this farm. And we didn't say buy, we didn't say give to, we didn't say anything like that. We just said someone Mm -hmm. who wants to take over this farm as we age out. Now the caveat is we're not leaving. Uh, Where else would we want to be? We're staying right here. Mm -hmm. So whoever gets it it has to put up with us. Sure. (laughs) So the, uh, We put out the word and we went through a few different, it's almost like my old days of being involved with theater work, auditions. And Mm -hmm. people would come here and and work at the farm. We'd uh, rent them some acres to do a vegetable operation. We went through um, three or four people and it it wasn't working out. Uh, And we finally got to the point of just saying, well, this isn't working. We're just going to, let go of that for a little bit. And, Mm -hmm. um, and, and and kind of trust that if we're doing the right thing, that this is going to happen. And these people were coming from, you know, far off. They weren't part of, you know, neighbors. So then a neighbor, (laughs) a neighbor as in next town over, uh, a young couple said, we would like your farm. And we'd known their family for quite some time. We would like your farm Let's start the discussion. And we're a few years into that process now. And hopefully it looks like at this point, they will be breaking ground in the spring, this coming Hmm. spring. Uh, They're already intrinsically involved with the farming operation. So it's kind of like once we stop forcing the issue, uh, without sounding too woo-woo about this, they found us. And we're... We're well into the process.
0: Well, if you don't mind me kind of talking more about the, the, I know you had said it kind of was a failure of the active seeking out somebody, but I'm curious because I I know of a few farms who are in similar positions actively seeking somebody. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious, uh, was there things in that process that you found successful? What were the the things that ended up, why did it end up not really being successful? I guess just talk more about that process because I know there's others who are probably you know, in the same position of wanting to find somebody and not knowing how.
1: Yeah. And I wish it's, it's an excellent question, Jared. And I wish I had a, you know, bullet points answer for it. (laughs) Um, and I, I don't, I, I would encourage people to just keep trying and it's, you may find the right person right off the bat. Uh, and you, it may take four or five tries. Uh, and and we still are very close with uh, some of these previous people. It just wasn't the right fit for them at the time. You know, one of them is farming, but somewhere else. And uh, and then there was um, there the it, it kind of got progressively by the by the last person that we did this with. It it wasn't a good experience at all. And it and it actually took a little bit to extricate ourselves. We hadn't started a transition plan, but we were renting land to this person. Uh, And we had to, we had to basically evict them so that I can't, I I don't know other than a a trust in the process and and a trust that we're doing the right thing. And that doesn't mean that there can't be disasters.
0: And probably a willingness to have those uncomfortable conversations with somebody if it's not working out that I'm sure wasn't fun. I I imagine at least just thinking about doing it myself that I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to, you know, back out of a conversation you've been working towards for months or years at a time. That doesn't sound enjoyable Mm -hmm. to me.
1: (laughs) It was not. Mm -hmm. And, and the, the, um, the balance to that is that what we're doing now, even though it's, there's difficult things to deal with. I mean, none of this land transition stuff, uh, the legal stuff, getting surveys, doing all the, all these things, (laughs) um, uh, permits, so on uh none of that's easy but for for, with with our current our current our heirs uh, who are non-family members again uh it's joyful even if it's not easy it's joyful and it's the right thing
0: yeah well let's let's talk more about now that you've got this this i don't know if it's an individual or a couple or a family that you're working with now Talk about the process that you're going through and, and how you, I don't know, how, how are you comfortable moving forward that these, how how did you know that these were the people that this is going to work with? And, you know, I mean, you're, you're making a plan that could last generations and there has to be a certain point I imagine where you just kind of let go and you're like, these are the people and we're going to trust that they do the right thing. Was there a, what, what was that process both, you know, actually physically with them and then with you and your wife to decide that that was the right time and the right people?
1: Um, well, again, there is a, a great degree of trust and so many, so many things can happen to people. I mean, okay, when we first started working with um, the, these folks, they were, it was a couple, they a married couple. And now there's five of them <laughs> at this point. They has, had three kids. Uh, sure. So, you know, well, that happened. Okay. We've gotten through yeah. to the third kid uh, and they're still totally committed to this. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, that, as you know, Jared, having a kid is a major deal. Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, well, you know, these are, uh, these are like these challenges that come up and, nope, we're still interested, still 100%. Uh, so, Every, everybody's set with that and and how to know you don't know you know you, you take your best shot and <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. we we knew for certain that the previous people were not right and now we feel we're as certain as we can be uh sure. that, that uh, these people are right and, and we're so fortunate we're we're so fortunate this is not you know again it's not a cookie cutter Nobody else could duplicate this. I'm just hoping that some of it is informative or cautionary.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and that's all. That's all that it can be. There's very, yeah. You'll probably in any transition story, never find two like, uh, like exactly like stories. So, for for the the listeners that that may be thinking that'll just fall fall into place, like it maybe sounds like it eventually did here. That's probably not the way it'll be, but it's still valuable to listen and to. To hear you you walk through this process but as much as you're comfortable sharing i guess now wh- how do you plan to move forward now that you found them you said i think mentioned breaking ground this spring so things are happening That's yes. exciting.
1: <laughs> it is it is exciting i uh, we're going to do it very similar to the way it was done for us again that okay. paying it forward thing hmm. it was it, it was given to us the farm was given to us my father-in-law did not need us to pay him for the farm in order to continue to have the quality of life he wanted he got to stay right here where he wanted to stay and be taken care of to the end of his life uh, mm-hmm. which uh, i you know you probably know farmers like this i can't imagine them living in town you know, they would probably drive yeah. their neighbors bonkers. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> uh, and <laughs> so here he, he, again, our priority is caring for the land. So mm-hmm. uh, if we don't need the money, if money doesn't need to exchange hands to help that happen, then what a wonderful thing. So that is what we're doing. And I, I just hear a collective, anybody listening to this going, What? You're just going to yeah. give it to them, you know,
0: yeah.
1: try giving away a farm sometime. It's not easy. <laughs> it's just as hard yeah. as selling a farm. <laughs> uh, and what it does is it makes it possible for this young family to do it. You know, they got to build a house for goodness sake. If Okay. So, I'm, I mean, just, I'm going to lay something out and you notice I'm not saying their names um, and that's mm-hmm. out of respect for them. Um uh, if they want to chime in and comments or something uh, after this goes out, they're welcome to but uh,
0: mm-hmm.
1: so uh, you know they're they're uh, in order for them to go ahead and build, we need to go ahead and transfer because what we have is set up just like the previous one is transfer on death like I mm-hmm. like I've told my uh, the our heirs that they um they, uh, th- the best thing would be for uh, all this paperwork to be in order, which it is now, and Marianne and me, my wife and me, to to, to die, <laughs> <laughs> then they just get everything and it be over. Um, yeah, it's not that. Um, that, that so be best for, for the them, rest
0: of us who uh, depend on you for yeah. a lot, <laughs> Jerry, don't go <laughs> well, talking you. like that. Huh?
1: <laughs> thank you. Well, uh, you know, it is one of the things that could happen. Meteor could hit the house. It is. You know. We're gone. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> It's so, but what's great is we can talk like that with them. We can joke mm-hmm. like that with them. Uh, you yeah. Know, well, well, I'd be a little careful in case you guys decide to off us. Um, so, <laughs> the, so in order for them to build, they need to own the land, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, no sure. bank is going to give you an operating loan for land you don't own. So we're transferring, uh, conveying, ten acres to them. Uh, it's going to happen in the next couple of weeks here because they need enough room to spread out, do outbuildings, put in a driveway, all that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Ten acres is basically what what they're going to need. Mostly, you know, seven of which will stay in pasture, um, mm-hmm. which is what it is right now. And they're moving into the permanent pasture with the cows. Um, sure. So so we need to convey that to them. Um, mm-hmm. And that, because it has a building site, you know, an allotment for building and it's 10 acres of, of you know, ag land uh, where ag land is not cheap. Um, that's a substantial gift. And we have to file paperwork on that saying we've just given them this over $100,000 worth of gift in one year, uh, which we can do. It's perfectly legal to do that. You just have to file it. Massive amount of paperwork and, and time spent with the lawyer and money spent with the lawyer to make sure we're doing all this right, so it doesn't come back and bite us later. Have I harped on the having a good lawyer thing enough?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's uh, that's a key. That's definitely a key one to pull out of this conversation. It sounds like.
1: I, I think so. Uh, so, so they they're already going to own ten acres. We'll talk about trust. You know, we mm-hmm. just cut out a ten acre chunk of our hundred and thirteen that we have left, mm-hmm. plus. The remaining of the 288 that's with other members of the family, and that's a different story. Mm-hmm. Uh, moving forward, yeah. <laughs> uh, then that's a huge trust because here they are—they're they're, you know an eighth of a mile away now, walking distance across the, the pasture, and they own it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Then when we pass away, the current plan, they'll own all the rest of it, including our house. You know, they'll have two houses at that time. Of course, hopefully by that time the kids are getting older, and maybe one of yeah. them needs a house and that sort of thing.
0: Mm-hmm. Sure.
1: So that's the, that's the the plan. Now he needs more land. They or heirs need more land to really expand the farming operation. He doesn't have the state of Texas subsidizing his farming. He has an off farm job, and um, you know they they're they're going to need some. I mean, just to, to make it. They're going to need more land. So all of those expenses, how I, it just baffles me, Jared, how, how young farmers, young people who don't have land, who don't own land and aren't going to be given that land and all the other expenses of starting a farm, how do they do it? (laughs) And that's really not a rhetorical question. I'd love to know the answer.
0: No, that's those are some of my favorite stories to have on the podcast. Is the people who started from nothing and built something that they can make a living on. It's incredible stories and so inspiring because Mm -hmm. it's a challenge, but there are people doing it. And you know, Mm -hmm. and I, I I, every now and then people ask me like, you know, can I do it? Or they just or they tell me I can't do it. And it's like I be it's challenging, no doubt, but it is absolutely possible. Yeah, helps when you have folks like. Uh, like you or or like you know myself that have a family you know we're we're not starting from scratch but uh but it is mm-hmm. possible,
1: yeah, and you know you and I both working with sustainable farming association, we hear it all the time the biggest obstacle to um to to young farmers is land access, and we're not even saying land ownership, we're saying access, yeah. Um, Land ownership is an even bigger obstacle because it's it's really hard to commit to land that you don't own.
0: No, absolutely, and that's a whole nother conversation we could go down a long <laughs> rabbit trail of. But um, so with this, then I, we're kind of coming up on an hour here, and so I, I I realized about two minutes in that I'm gonna have no trouble getting to an hour. So I, now I'm just trying to figure out what are kind of the final thoughts here that we should that we should discuss as we wrap up and I'm curious what your thoughts are as for final, you know, kind of what are some of the big takeaways and the points that you would share with anybody either on the landowner side or the farm, you know, the the farmer looking to get started and maybe in a similar situation as the, the folks that you're working with, you know, what are some of the big takeaways that you would share with, with people going down a similar path? Well,
1: I think similar path is the, the, the thing there, all the paths are going to be so different as we as we, as we mm-hmm. talked about, and nobody's is going to look just like ours. I'd be very surprised if, for young people or people who are wanting to get in farming mid-career, like I did, uh, being uh, very open to different forms that this could take it could take, that that it may not look like what. We think it's going to, I'm going to go buy a farm. It may not look like
0: that. Mm-hmm.
1: You know, oh, well, I'm going to get somebody to give me a farm. Well, it may not look like that. Uh, mm-hmm. But to be open to and keep the, 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 the mission in mind. Uh, and again, for us, the mission is to care for the land uh, and to do mm-hmm. good work in our community. And everything else is subservient to that. So I think that's my parting thoughts. I'm very, very blessed to be a, at heart a conservationist. Who has been given a farm. Now the farm still has to make money. Uh, it still has to be a good business, but we have that unfair advantage of, like I mentioned, no mortgage outside income. And now we are free to take care of the land.
0: Yeah. That's, that's an interesting point just there too. Like the freedom to manage, you know, not, not mm-hmm. feeling like your hands are chained in a way that mm, requires you to manage the farm in a certain way focused primarily on profit you're free to manage the land with a a primary focus on conservation and stewardship and that's that's a Mm -hmm. that's a a neat thought but i I really Mm -hmm. appreciate you sharing this story it's not something that Mm -hmm. is uh you know often talked about even though it probably should be talked about more because. Every farm goes through a transition at some point and everybody in farming has to go through that and, and, and it seems like we're all doing it ourselves, trying to figure it out every time when there's people who are doing it and have been doing this you know, for, for decades that, that have experiences to share that can be worthwhile. So I really appreciate you taking some time to share the thoughts today with me and with our listeners. But no, I, I really appreciate it. If there's one or two, I, I like to ask people if there's one or two resources, are there any resources that were a key in your, uh, your in, in this whole process for you that you would recommend people listen to? And then the, the last question after that would be if, if people wanna reach out, How can they find you?
1: Well, the resources I've used have been uh, people like
0: Jared uh, and
1: (laughs) uh, other folks in the past with these different organizations. Uh, I spent a lot of time talking with Land Stewardship Project uh, to get really familiar with these different things, Renewing the Countryside has uh, is doing some excellent work and has some excellent resources and then of course sustainable farming association uh, <laughs> yes. my employer uh, has, uh, has has a great deal of resources uh, and then talking to people who have done it just like we're doing right now people who are in the process or, or process or who have done it is an excellent resource and now i can't remember the oh how can they get in touch with me Our farm is called Living Song Farm, uh, as in a song that is alive. We approach the the land in that way, As my wife and I both being artists, uh, and she's a musician. So livingsongfarm.com is our farm website. And then I can be reached through Sustainable Farming Association, sfa-mn.org. If you can't find me one of those two ways, then ask Jerry.
0: (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) That's great. Yeah. And I'd be happy to connect to him if you can't. So um, thank you so much, Jerry. Really appreciate it.
1: It's an honor and my pleasure.
0: Yeah. We'll have to get you on for a round two someday because I know there's a whole lot more in there to share than what we were able to get today. But I think that's a pretty fantastic start. So thanks, Jerry. Dirt Rich
1: is produced by the Sustainable Farming Association. We believe that agriculture done well heals. For more resources or to tap into the Farmer to Farmer Network, visit us at sfa-mn.org.